Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hi there, and thanks for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you are into ag podcasts like this one and blogs and vlogs and that good stuff, head over to farmruralag.com and check that out. Well, if you have been listening to previous episodes, you know in episode 119, I introduced this series called Stories from the Soil with an episode with Jim Lore, who's the CEO of Cool Planet. I collaborated with Cool Planet on this project, Stories from the Soil, where we were able to travel around the country to ask farmers and uh, land stewards and experts about soil health. I'm not going to be able to bring all of those interviews to you on this show. If you want to catch those, you have to go to storiesfromthesoil.com. However, I will be choosing six uh, podcast episodes that that will highlight Stories from the Soil, and they'll be spread throughout the next few months, uh, just like this one has been a few weeks after the interview with Jim. This guest here today is someone I've been really excited about sharing with you because she has both an interesting perspective not growing up on a farm, a very technical background with a PhD in soil science, but also a very applied approach working with farmers and, and other stakeholders for that matter in trying to solve problems related to soil health in North Dakota. Our guest here today is Dr. Abby Wick. Uh, She is an assistant professor and extension soil health specialist with North Dakota State University. She has the cool job of traveling around and helping farmers solve problems related to building healthy soils. Really enjoyed uh, visiting with Abby on the farm of Joe Brecker, who you're also going to get to hear from on a future episode of this podcast. Um, Big questions I had for Abby was, was was just about how farmers are looking at soil health, how she sort of blends uh, this the science and also the application of actually coming up with realistic solutions for them, and, and just how the interactions take place between extension research and applied farming. Um, soil health has a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different opinions, so kind of how she distills all that down into her job. Really interesting, and she's going to sort of start off talking to us a little bit about how she got into this because she didn't grow up on a farm. I did not grow up on a farm. Um, I had nothing to do with agriculture until about six years ago when I moved here to North Dakota. Um, But I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio and went to school out in Colorado and worked on mine land reclamation in, in Wyoming and then also Virginia. And I worked, I had the opportunity to work with a few farmers in Virginia, and I really liked the, the family farm, the mentality, the crop rotation. And so when this job up here in North Dakota came up, I, I jumped at it. And, and so here I am learning about agriculture. And so I've really, since I've gotten here, I've just been learning alongside farmers. So the things that I don't know, like equipment or things about rotation or fertility, they're sharing that information with me. And then I'm a trained soil scientist, so I'm bringing the soils information to them in, in the context of their farms. 
It was extremely clear from the moment I first started talking to Abby that not only is she passionate about soils, but she really loves her job and loves her work. And so I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that and just to learn more about kind of what her role as an extension specialist looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, well, I, I love my job because there's, it's very rare that I'm actually in the office and I'm not an office person. So, so being on the road and, and having my pickup as my, as my office is my favorite part. Um, so on any given day, I'm not sure where I'm going to go or which farmer I'm going to visit with. It kind of depends on the weather. Um, if some farmers get rain, I may go down there and visit with them because I know they may not be as busy. Um, but my job really is to, is to listen to what the farmers are saying and, and the, the requests that they have for what we need to be doing on campus. And then to take that to the researchers that we have who are doing excellent work and get, have them do some of those research projects to take back to the farmer. Um, so that's a really linear way of thinking about it, um, where you have the researcher, the extension person, and the farmer. And what I'm trying to do now is to take that linear pathway, which is farmers don't have that much time to, for us to figure things out that way, but to bring everybody to the table to solve any given issue at any given time um, and have all the right players there. So bringing researchers, bringing industry, bringing um, people like the NRCS or soil conservation districts, bringing the farmers, bringing extension, uh, bringing all of them to the table to figure out what we can do to solve a, a given issue. Abby's approach to bringing everyone to the table is actually really innovative. Uh, she actually, she showed me this diagram of exactly how she sees North Dakota disseminating information about soil health. And it, it looked like a mind map. I mean, there were just all these hubs everywhere and all of these connections that were sort of intersecting with each other. And she's really put a lot of thought into this of how to not think linearly where information starts at the university and just kind of gets passed down um, among people. But how can you bring everyone to the table and where those interactions intersect and, and what is the benefit of doing it that way. So uh, she kind of glossed over it casually, but I really wanted to emphasize that point because I think that's something that uh, can be applied in, in many different contexts. We tend to think linearly. I know I am guilty of it, but if we can come up with systems that bring more people to the table and create more of these intersections of ideas and perspectives and knowledge and expertise, um, they're really more better off for it. And, and I think North Dakota is a great case study for that, how they've become sort of a leader in soil health, partially due to this thought process that, that Abby's bringing forward. I wanted to ask her just her general thoughts on how her farmers are thinking about soil health. You know, there, there are several different perspectives. And I would say um, a majority of the farmers that I work with are looking at it from a, a I'm going to farm the land in a sustainable way so that I can pass it on to my kids. So most of the farmers that I, that I work will say they're not farming for themselves, they're farming for the next generation. Um, so a lot of them are concerned about erosion. Um, that's one of our primary resource concerns up here. We have high wind erosion in the winter, especially with, with no snowpack some years. Um, and, I, and I don't know a single farmer that likes seeing his soils blow away. Um, that's really tough when that's your biggest investment on the farm. Um, so most of them are coming at soil health from that angle of I want to protect the resource for, my, for the future farming operation. Um, I want to keep my, my biggest investment in my field. Um, most of them aren't necessarily looking for the cash back on it from higher yields or from reduced fertility. I mean, that is a consideration, but most of them are just thinking about keeping that soil in place. This idea that soil health is really about sort of doing right by the soil, 
uh, as opposed to a, a business decision necessarily. Kind of caught me off guard at first, but it really was validated over and over and over again. Sure, farming is a business. It has to make money. Uh, farmers can't be asked to go to great lengths to build soil health unless it's going to benefit them in some way. Um, but what Abby's saying here about the most important thing is taking care of that ground so that it can be there for for future business ventures and in future generations is definitely something we heard over and over again. I wanted to ask Abby though about just kind of how this happens. So if a, if a farmer has a problem with with their soil or or wants to do better about building soil health and and wants her help, how does that sort of work? And here's what she had to say. You know, most of the farmers I work with, I, I ask them to set their goal first. And, and what is your goal in using these practices, whether it's incorporating cover crops, reducing tillage, diversifying rotation, and probably 90% of them, their goal is to reduce erosion. And so I think that they're seeing that cover on the soil is really helping with that. Um, some of them are interested in the biological aspect and keeping a root growing in the soil for longer and something living to feed the biology and that. But I think it comes down to the fundamental of I want to reduce the erosion and keep the soil in my fields. I hope you could hear the insect noise in the background and, and the cover crops sort of crunching under our feet a little bit. I, I wish I could do every podcast interview in the field. It was just great to get out there and to be on site to actually see uh, what Abby was talking about as we were walking through the fields. After goals are established, as she was just talking about, I wondered, you know, what's step number one? So if, if somebody's listening to this as an example and, and they're a, a farmer, maybe you are that farmer, and you're thinking, you know, I really haven't uh, considered what additional steps I should be taking to build soil health, where should I start? And that's kind of the question I had for Abby, which is basically, what's step one? Uh, step one, I think is... Gosh, what is step one? It's, it's so different for, for every farmer. Um, but mostly it's, it's figuring out, for me when I work with them, is, is figuring out how to get your rotation right and where can you fit in things like cover crops into that rotation. We don't even talk about reduced tillage or strip till or any of that kind of stuff until we figure out the cheaper part of it, which is using cover crops or, or rotation. Um, so that's probably step one is figuring out, can you do something like for us, it's interseeding corn with something like cereal rye then that cereal rye will establish in our short growing season. Once the corn comes off, it'll grow. And then having that cereal rye there to control erosion and then plant into it the following year with soybean. And so that's kind of a first step and that eliminates a tillage pass just by having the rye there. Um, so we're not necessarily looking at reducing tillage, but we're incorporating cover crops and it's a little bit different angle to make it seem like it's not such a big investment. Abby is sort of indirectly addressing here one of the common um, barriers to some of these soil health practices, which is if they require a, a large investment and you don't see a good return on that investment right away or in, in you know, a very short period of time, uh, it becomes very difficult, especially in times of, of farm incomes being where they are today and, and being a challenge. Um, but as she mentioned there, there are certain things a farmer can do um, that are more low risk and, and even maybe save money by uh, eliminating a pass, as she said, across the field. She took me out to one field in particular that she wanted to show me, and uh, I'm going to let her describe it a little bit more, but uh, certainly an innovative approach to cover cropping and building soil health. This was a wheat field, and it was, uh, it was harvested maybe two, three weeks ago. And then a cover crop was planted out here. So this farmer, um, Joe Brecker, uses a concept called bio-strip till. And I think it's really cool because it's not just 
blanketing the field with cover crops, which is what it may look like. It's specifically seeding cover crops and rows for in preparation for corn the next year. Hmm. And so when you look at here, you can see that, that they're faba beans on 30 inch row spacing. You see a little bit lighter green. And then if you skip over 15 inches on 30 inch row spacing, you have radish, turnip and flax. And so the goal on this is this faba is going to get to be a really nice dark residue and it's going to be fairly upright. And it'll actually look like, like strip till next spring. It'll look like the soil was disturbed, but it'll be these black strips that'll warm up faster in the spring. And then he'll plant his corn right on those strips. As we stood out there in that field, I could see what she was talking about with the strips of fava beans. But then you still got these radishes and turnips and flax and uh, these other cover crops out there. And it got me wondering like, okay, well, if there is a... a in a cover crop that's better than most, or in this case, kind of, you know, fava beans were sort of the star of the show. Uh, why plant the variety? And I've seen this before in other farmers, like why plant a cocktail mix of seeds as a cover crop? If, you know, may, why can't we just like optimize one crop to be like the ultimate cover crop? And so I, I asked Abby that question and to my surprise, she thought it was a good question. <laughs> So that, that's a neat question because I was going to do that on one of our research projects, the, the Soil Health and Agriculture Research Extension Farm or the share farm that we have. Mm -hmm. I was talking to, to Joe Brecker about it, who, I mean, he's kind of the king of the, this biostrip till. And I said, well, Joe, I'm going to go out and I'm going to seed radish on 30 inch row spacing and then I'll plant our corn into it next year. And he goes, well, why would you just do radish? You're making the pass. I thought, well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, it's, it's 20, 30 bucks to run a, a drill or a, a planter across a field mm -hmm. per acre. So why would I just put down a couple bucks worth of seed? Why not throw in a few other other species in there to see if I can get a good catch? So, um, so the nice thing about that is that if the radish doesn't take off, the faba beans might. And if the faba beans don't take off, the, the flax mm. might. And all of these different cover crops have a different purpose in their soil and a different root structure. So we saw the faba bean root structure as being this, this style, right? With the kind of the taproot. And then we have the, the turnip roots, which are a little bit different. And this taproot will get down to... I mean, we've seen it at four feet after 12 weeks. And so for us, that's great. It's capturing all those nutrients from that have leached and bringing them back to the surface and storing them in this organic material. Um, this one being a legume is fixing nitrogen. We have the, the volunteer wheat coming back in, which is a really nice fibrous root. Mm -hmm. And so that's gonna build soil aggregation. Um, and the flax is, is known, known to be really mycorrhizal friendly. Mm -hmm. And so um, though most species are, will form that association with mycorrhizal fungi, it's, I guess flax is just a little bit more prone to they do that. They love the flax. I thought that was a really cool example of how a cover crop can be really beneficial in addition to just kind of holding the soil in place for erosion and that sort of thing. A four foot tap root that basically reaches down there into the soil and pulls up nutrients that, that wouldn't be in the root zone for maybe whatever that crop was going to be. Uh, basically pulls it up from four feet down there into the plant, concentrates in the plant, and then of course the plant's still there and then gets uh, that nutrition gets right there in the, in the topsoil and in the root zone. So I thought that was really cool. And um, obviously it's easy for us to sort of nerd out about cover crops and um, about soil health. But the reality is, you know, there, there are plenty of people out there who, who don't use cover crops or, or don't think it's right for, for their operation. And uh, I wanted to ask Abby more about that. And in order to sort of answer that question, she took me to some of their research plots where they're trying to figure out when does the nitrogen that's concentrated up in those cover crops actually get released so that a farmer can, can use it rather than having to apply nitrogen in the form of fertilizer? Here's what she had to say. The great thing about doing the science and the research is that 
that you learn that cover crops aren't all rainbows and puppies. You know, it's, it's not something that, that you're going to get that nitrogen back that following year and you can credit a certain amount for, for having cover crops in your system. Um, we're learning that, that we really need to understand how these approaches are going to work so that farmers don't get stung with, with not enough nitrogen in their fields um, when raising a, a, a corn crop. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're not sure, you know, when, you know, when that nitrogen gets released, it, it varies in, in different years. So when we had an extremely dry year last year, that nitrogen that was held up in that cover crop wasn't being mineralized or released into the soil in an inorganic form. So, um, so this year we had a little bit better moisture, but, um, but it's different for all of our field sites, actually. I think this really emphasizes the need for more research to go into this area of, of soil health and, and learning how we can utilize various practices and cover crops to actually save farmers money on inputs such as nitrogen because it's not so easy as, hey, if you just plant a nitrogen-fixing cover crop, you don't have to apply nitrogen. It doesn't work that way no matter what you've uh, read on the internet. You just heard it right there from a scientist herself. So I think continued research into this area is extremely important. I wanted to know from Abby, and this is switching gears a little bit, about what seems to have the biggest impact on, on a farmer's perspective about considering some of these new ideas. I mean, is it the data? Is it the trials there? Is it kind of the tools, the analytics? What What is it? Uh, you know, I think I've always talked about my favorite tool is a shovel. And, and so we have all these different tests to evaluate soil health and soil health scores. But my favorite thing is when we go out in a field and a farmer and I dig in their soil, and they see what's happening. Um, that's my favorite thing to share with them is that moment where they're seeing what their soils can do and how quickly they can change. Um, so maybe it's you know not necessarily a piece of information, but it's a, a moment in time where they're where they're seeing how something that they're doing is is changing mm-hmm. their soils. So if they have maybe one field, we we always recommend that farmers try these soil health building practices on on 20 acres, not 200, or or one quarter, not the whole farm. And so when we go into their field where they're using these practices, um, we'll see the soils are, are better aggregated or there's some, some changes that are occurring fairly rapidly. And then we'll go into one of their other fields um, that they're not using these practices and look at the soils and look for the differences and what's the same, what's different, and how are those soils behaving. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's nice to have comparisons because oftentimes when you don't see how it could look, it's, it's tough to know how much progress you've made. If there's one thing we learned from Stories from the Soil and traveling to all these places is that everybody's operation is different. The soil is different. The crops are different. The the constraints on the management practices are different. The weather is different. The topography is different. Everybody is going to be different. And so I, I asked Abby if there was something that seems to work really well for building soil health elsewhere that she has found that just really doesn't work for her farmers there in North Dakota. So one of the questions a lot of farmers ask about is using clover in their corn and or clover in their wheat. And that seems to be a common practice maybe in the eastern part of the U.S. Um, and maybe you guys are seeing that in some of your interviews. But for us, we can't get enough growth out of clover. And I've not had success growing clover in any phase of the rotation. Even after wheat, there's just not enough time to make that seed, the cost of the seed pay off. Um, so that's one thing that farmers are kind of asking about that, that may not really work here because of our short growing season. Um, and also, I mean, things like hairy vetch, that, I mean, that seems to be a pretty popular cover crop. Um, for us, it's just, it may, it's not a great fit for our system. I see a lot of volunteer hairy vetch, any field that's had it, hairy vetch in it, I seem to still see hairy vetch years later. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a tough one to control. So we're kind of staying away from those, from those cover crops and sticking with cereal rye, radish. Those are, are some of the best choices for us. 
Okay, before you go off and Google Harry Vetch, uh, I wanted to ask Dr. Wick about what questions she still has about soil health. It still seems to be sort of this mysterious frontier in a lot of ways. And I was just curious from a soil scientist and expert in the field, what questions she still has. Uh, you know, there, there's so much question about the biological part of soils and, and understanding when nutrients are going to release, when is organic matter going to be turned over, um, how fast do aggregates form? I mean, a lot of those are biological processes. And so, so understanding that, I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. Um, part of me really wants to understand it, but the other part of me says, hey, if it works and we don't understand it, that's okay. We know how to, we know how to build that part of the soil to make it work and function like a soil should function. So, um, but I think that's, that's kind of where the mystery lies in, uh, in soil health is in that biological part. I definitely think that's one cool thing about soil and in doing this series stories from the soil is the fact that, you know, soil is so basic and fundamental to everything, uh, but there's still so much mystery and so much we don't know about it. Uh, so I, I, that's one thing that just kind of appeals to me about this whole concept. And I asked Gabby, what, what is her favorite part about soil? Boy, there, there's so much that I love about soil. And, um, you know, I, I think because I've worked so much with aggregates, I think that they're just an amazing part of the soil where you build the structure and it recovers so quickly and it provides habitat for microbes, but it also helps with water movement. It helps with holding nutrients and release of nutrients in, in a timely way. Um, so, I, you know, as far as like a soil component, the aggregates are probably my favorite part. Um, but it, overall in soils, I love how quickly they change. And so we're seeing a lot of really great things, just, just a slight change in practice could make a world of difference for, for how that soil actually functions and grows a, a productive crop. I really enjoyed uh, getting to visit with Dr. Abby Wick of North Dakota State University there on site. And I hope you got a lot of value from, from the clips from that interview here today. Uh, I really would encourage you to go follow uh, Dr. Wick on Twitter. It's at NDSU Soil Health. So for North Dakota State University, so NDSU Soil Health uh, she posts some fantastic content, um, usually soils related, really good stuff. In closing, I just asked her to provide just her charge, I guess, for farmers uh, when considering soil health. What does she hope farmers know um, about building healthy soils? I hope that farmers continue to follow not only their gut instinct and and what works on their farms, but they follow the data. And, and I feel like the data has always led us in a direction that, that can provide good guidance um, within the systems that we understand. And so I hope that farmers not only follow their gut instinct and, their, and try new things on their farms, but try them at a small scale until they get really comfortable with it, but then allow the universities to provide some of that data to, to fill in some of the gaps and help them make advances maybe more rapidly or to put the brakes on a few things that may not work as well. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that with Dr. Abby Wick. Uh, certainly think that this series, Stories from the Soil, is tackling some really interesting topics related to soil health and getting a variety of perspectives. So far, you heard from Jim Lohr in episode 119, of course, Abby today. Uh, we've got a few more episodes on soil health to bring you, uh, but they're going to be scattered around the next two or three months or so. Uh, but now that we're finished with the Accelerating Ag Tech series. I have a couple other guests that I've sort of been 
waiting to share with you and very excited about those. So we'll be back next week. I was going to read one more iTunes review, but iTunes in in its uh, eternal wisdom is now uh, changing on me yet again. I don't know if it's a result of a recent update or what, but I can't seem to access my reviews right this minute. But anyway, thank you to those of you who have done a review. We will read it on a future episode once I can get iTunes figured out yet again. Have a great week. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com. That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, oh, oh.